0: Hello, and welcome to Life Over Pain, a podcast where people with chronic pain and traumatic brain injury share their stories of life, value, and resilience. I'm Patty Freeman-Evans, and these stories help me reframe my thinking and to approach my day from a point of view I would never have thought of before. I find the honesty with which these people tell their stories to be inspiring, courageous, and full of hope. I hope you do, too. Harry takes care of other people. He helped his mom raise a family. Now he takes care of friends, too. Throughout our nearly 20-year friendship, he's always helped me when I've asked. In fact, he's made a career out of helping people. Phil has been a pioneer and leader in the digital customer experience field for three decades. Creative Good and Collaborative Gain, companies he founded, are both based on helping businesses and their people be more customer-centric and to support each other in the process. Moreover, he has championed the notion of asking for help as a means to success. He's even writing a book about it now. But last year, it was Phil who needed help. He suffered a concussion when he was hit by a bicyclist while walking on a sidewalk in New York. He wasn't diagnosed at the time, so he didn't get the help he needed. And because he had this injury, the man who teaches people how to ask for help wasn't up to asking for help himself. In the end, he's gotten good advice and followed it. Phil has worked hard at his recovery. He's doing well now. He still has work to do, maybe for a lifetime. Yet he's learned a lot from this experience. To value the slow, for one. We'll talk more about that. Overall, he's embraced his true self and found a sense of internal peace. So I figured I would ask Phil for some help. Would he share his story with us? Guess what? He said yes. Today, I'm talking to my very good friend, Phil Terry, who has an incredible story to tell us about resilience and practice Mm -hmm. and luck, Luck, exactly. Hi, Phil. (laughs) Hey, Patty. How are you? Good. Good. It's
1: nice to be here. (laughs) It's
0: it's (laughs) nice to see your face, actually, in person. In person. I know. I often just uh, talk to people over the phone, so it's actually nice to do it in person.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah. You've been so kind to me and Advising me through many different career issues. Yeah. Good. Good things. Yeah. And when I heard that there was an accident, I was pained Mm -hmm. in many ways. Yeah. But such a surprising thing. You're walking along the street.
1: Yeah. So I'm in Brooklyn. Actually, I'll never forget it because um, I was going to my poetry group, and I got out of the subway. It's downtown Brooklyn. We're meeting at Brooklyn Law School where one of the members teaches uh-huh. of the poetry group. And it was like something happened. I got turned around. I didn't, I, I got discombobulated. And but I was in the middle of the block on the sidewalk. Okay. So I turned around and started walking in the other direction. Okay. And this bike came around the corner out of nowhere and hit me.
0: On the sidewalk.
1: Yeah, on the sidewalk. Yeah, head on.
0: Where they're not supposed to be.
1: Yes. Although actually in New York, it's not totally clear what the law is. It, really? Yeah. And they don't post anything. No you, bikes on sidewalks. Yeah. True.
0: But, but there are bike lanes all over the place. So you Yeah, think- but most
1: of the bike lanes are dangerous lanes. Like, they're not really, like, protection for the bikers. So there's been a lot of promotion of biking. Yeah. Which I support. Right. But not enough protected lanes. So that pushes the bikes up onto the sidewalks. Uh-huh. In fact, just today when I was walking here... Yeah. I was in Brooklyn, and I was walking on a sidewalk that had been narrowed because there was a bunch of construction materials. I mean, it's literally two people would have to sort of turn to be able to pass each other. Right, right. And there was a bike coming at me. Oh my God! And I was like, I, I like, I yelled at the guy, which, I, by the way, I don't recommend. You don't know. <sighs> you, I, I try not to do that.
0: <laughs> good advice. Good you know,
1: advice. And yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? You could yeah. really hurt somebody. And to his credit, he got on the street after that. But it was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I have seen bikes, motorized bikes, going 40 miles an hour down a sidewalk. It's kind of the wild west on New York sidewalks today. Scooters, bikes, like elect- right. you know, motorized bikes, motorized right. scooters. In fact, I I'm now more scared of that than cars. I know I know that you were hit by a car. Thank God I wasn't hit by a car. Right. 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 But. You don't know and where I, these guys are coming from.
0: Right, and I look out for cars. Yeah. But there's not enough of these yeah. that I am so attuned yeah. to be really watching for them. Yeah. So when they're there, it's sort of surprising.
1: Yeah.
0: And also hearing about yeah. your accident, it made me much more aware to say, yeah. wow, I really should be looking out for bikers because there are a lot yeah. a lot more of them, but it's not like Amsterdam where they're everywhere.
1: I Actually, I talk to people like I practice defensive walking. They taught us to be defensive drivers, right? To, right. Well, I'm a defensive walker. What's it
0: Tell me about that. What's defensive
1: it? walking is you're constantly aware of everything around you, including yeah. behind you. Because I've been walking on a sidewalk and a bike comes out of nowhere behind me, doesn't hit me, but goes right by me. Now, if yeah. I had turned around or put my arm out, I right. would have gotten clobbered. Absolutely, right? right. So I am constantly listening and trying to be aware of the whole environment. And when I cross a street, I look every direction because bikes right. come out of nowhere going the wrong direction right. all the time or scooters. And so, you know, I almost every day I see I myself or I see someone experience a near miss. See.
0: That's a really good point. And I think I've been very aware yeah. because I've been in New York for so yeah. many years
1: we're in a new moment. Yes. Yeah, you what what would happen on sidewalks before is you would get tourists who would stop in the middle of a sidewalk and you you know, you'd crash into them or right. you know, they weren't right. aware of their surroundings. They wouldn't right. step to the side or whatever. Right. But that was the extent of it, right? Yeah. You you for the most part you didn't have to worry about bikes, scooters, right. and I don't, I don't know what the next form of transportation that's going to be invented. Sk- skateboards with 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 motors. Aren't well, how, right. Or not. Hoverboards.
0: I don't. Who knows? So you you are walking down the street and this. this the, so yeah, and you.
1: and I'll I'll say one other thing. I, yeah. You know, so because I was discombobulated, I had previously stopped and pulled to the side and got my Google Maps out. Okay. Even then, I didn't walk and but I I saw the phone in my hand and I looked down at that Google Maps right. that was already open and it was like and then I looked up and bam. Oh. It was like a split second. Bam. Bam. And then I woke up on the sidewalk. And people ask me, what happened? I don't know. I know the guy hit me, He, but where did the concussion come from? Was it hitting my head on the sidewalk? Was it hitting something on the bike or him? I don't know. You
0: have no idea.
1: I literally, nothing. Right. Uh, I don't know how long I was out because I was by myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I suspect somewhere in the two to three minute range, but mm. I don't know for sure. Right. And there were these two women, uh, you know, good Samaritans came over, and um, at some point I became aware, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk for like 20 minutes. It was a very strange experience.
0: Seriously, so these two women are there, was trying to. I'm help on the you. sidewalk. You're on the sidewalk. You you, you wake up. Yeah. And you're you're sort of becoming aware of things. Yeah. These two women are there. And you're trying to say something, and it just isn't.
1: All I can do, I I, I was able to think. They were they were debating whether they should call 911. Uh, they were young, and they didn't know what to do. That's fair enough. Sure. And I'm like thinking, yeah, please call 911. <laughs> you're
0: screaming inside your head. <laughs> but I can't yeah, say.
1: Yeah. I don't know why, but I wasn't able to form the words. I couldn't move the mouth and whatever you do when you talk. You isn't, know?
0: That's- Crazy. And could you shake your head? Could you? You couldn't do anything, really.
1: Not really. Yeah, no. I don't remember if my eyes were even open. I do remember at some point, at some point, I handed them my phone. Aha. Uh-huh. So they could call somebody. Yeah. And I think, you know, we put my finger on it or something. <laughs> and they could figure it out. Like, they just, were like, okay, who's in his favorites? So they. Right. And they called Pat. Yeah. My friend. And. Uh, Told him what was happening. Yeah. By that time, a police officer came and uh, interviewed the bystanders. No one really saw what happened, you know. Where oh, was the bicyclist? He fled. He just left. Yeah. Supposedly, he yelled something like, I'm hurt too, or something like that.
0: You know? oh, oh, really?
1: Yeah. Oh. Uh, some, one of the bystanders said something about that, but mm. no one knew anything. And, you know, bikes don't have license plates on them, so... Yeah, you can't. You, you can't no track idea. them. Right. So I never heard from the police after that, by the way. A little, like, really? The New York Police Department didn't follow up to find out yeah. what, what happened? Yeah. Well, the um, police never talked to us. They never spoke to they you? Never spoke to us. See, that was a more serious accident with a yeah. car. Yeah. You, you, I, don't, I don't understand what they're doing. But, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. But it took about 45 minutes for an ambulance to come because it was rush hour in Brooklyn.
0: Oh, Lord. They That's took me not to a met- good time to get hurt, Phil. No,
1: well, I didn't. I didn't choose a good time or place. You know. <laughs> no. I wasn't. I you wasn't do this the Hospital. Right, if you do this right. again, right. Let's, let's rearrange yeah. the, then,
0: the logistics. Yeah.
1: And then Methodist didn't really know how to handle c- concussion protocol. Nor, nor did one medical. By the way, so they don't have a trauma center. Did. It was Methodist. It was in Brooklyn. I don't think they have a trauma center. Right. It's like an all-in-one The ER. There is not. It's a tough ER. Mm-hmm. So the first thing they did was an x-ray. My brain wasn't bleeding. Right. They're, once they've ascertained that, they don't pay attention to you anymore. But you're not an yeah.
0: emergency, right? And
1: they're like, go home and rest. But they didn't explain. They didn't say cognitive rest. They didn't explain what that meant. Right. So what did that mean for me? I don't know. I worked six hours instead of 12 hours a day, you know? Right, right. And then I went out and gave talks in Houston and California. So you on a plane which your head yeah. is not going to
0: be happy. Were you in pain? Well,
1: I was... I was in. I was kind of a mess when I was in San Francisco for the councils. We had a big general session with Chip Conley, who's a great guy. He yeah. started Joie de Vivre Hotels. Uh, but so, you, so, but, so right. anyway, I had this general session in San Francisco with him and with Ellen Powell, you know, who yes. had sued Kleiner Perkins and then wrote that book Reset and was really one of the first women to really stand up to Silicon Valley. It was a great session. Mm-hmm. I don't remember.
0: You don't remember it at all.
1: I remember we had the session.
0: And somebody told you it was great.
1: Yeah. And then I I told you this, too. I took a bunch of... My friend is a a good, close friend of mine, Roger Grunwald, is an actor and Holocaust educator. His mother and aunt survived Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen, respectively. And he had a new play, and I took about 50 people to it in San Francisco. And it was a one-man play, 11 different roles. It was a tour de force. It was very well received, but I couldn't follow it. Oh, I had no idea. I, I, I was totally confused. And actually, I didn't say anything to Roger because <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, this is not a good play. Oh, no. You <gasps> know, and I brought all these people. But all of them were responding to it. And then uh, when I got back to New York, I was I, I couldn't keep my balance. I was unsteady. Ooh. I had terrible headaches. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I was nauseous. Yeah. I like my So friend, all this
0: was new, when you got back, so you weren't having any No, it was, no, before. I did. It you was did. getting worse. It was just getting worse. Yeah, you just weren't resting enough. Yeah, and I it.
1: just, yeah. I thought I'm just going to roll through this. Sure. And yeah. One of my closest friends, Pat, was like, he, he was like, you, you got to go see a specialist. And yeah. I was at first resistant to that, but then I finally listened to him. Right. I ended up at the hospital for special surgeries concussion clinic, which, which is a great clinic. And you know, I walked in and they had me fill out this questionnaire, like. Do you have this symptom? Like every single symptom, right, was checked. Check, check, check. And then, you know, they do these tests like, you know, are your eyes in convergence or not? Do you know? Did yes. you have that? Yes. And so they were wildly out of convergence. and right. You know, all the, like I just, I scored poorly on all my tests. And, you know, I'm... First time in I'm your I'm a life. good student. Yeah. I was, but the head of the clinic was like, yeah, you've got a pretty serious concussion and you should have come to us a month and a half ago. Because now your you know, recovery is going to be longer. But she said, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to do cognitive rest. I said, what's that? She said, no screens, no TV, no phone, no smartphone, no, no computer, no laptop, no iPad, no Kindle. Oh, God. Okay. I, I'm
0: beginning to shake just
1: thinking you know, about, you know, just completely detaching. Yeah. Yeah. And then no books, no, no books. print, no newspapers, no radio, no podcasts.
0: No, you can't listen to things either. No. Oh, my Lord.
1: Basically, here's what you can do you can sit and talk to a friend one on one, no group dynamics either. Okay. Because those are very, very hard. Right. And uh, you can talk to someone on a landline phone. Okay. Uh, and you can cook. And you can cook. And you can draw. And you can draw. Yeah, so my friends brought okay. me some paint and some crayons and stuff so I, <laughs> I could draw. Uh, and that was it. That was it. No exercise, by the way, at first you had to be off of exercise. You had to wow. really... And my first response to her was something on the order of no effing way. Are you
0: crazy?
1: Yeah. Yes. By the way, with, with the full verbal assault there, you know, <laughs> I'm censoring myself for your podcast. Thank
0: you so much. And
1: she was like, well, and, you know, this is someone who works with, like, all the t- top athletes, and I, I'm, like, not anything to her. Like, like I'm not some huge hulking guy, right? right, you know, with a famous reputation. Right. Giving her a hard time. She like, she's like, well, it's up to you. You can follow my directions, or you can have chronic brain deficits, Oh Lord. <laughs> oh. I think she said you or you could maybe. She didn't say guarantee. Like they don't know with the brain. True. But I'm like, um and I thought about it for a moment, even with my damaged brain, I could I could figure out, oh shit. Yeah. I need my brain. <laughs> Turns out if if I break my foot yeah. or God forbid something worse, I lose a foot. Yeah. I can still do everything I'm doing in my life today with some modifications.
0: And perhaps they could even make you a new foot. Right. But it but turns
1: out you there's one brain. That's it. And if that brain is yeah. damaged and it's chronically damaged, it's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. And I hadn't thought about that until that very moment. I hadn't taken it seriously. I right. really hadn't.
0: You wouldn't, really. And my
1: doctors hadn't. Yeah.
0: But
1: at the Methodist mm-hmm. and One Medical, which is a, a good group for the most part, but they didn't they didn't tell me about cognitive rest and I spoke to my right. doctor later after I was a patient at HSS at, at the hospital for special surgery and she said well I'm always I know how busy New Yorkers are I'm afraid I'm asking too much I said no yeah <laughs> that's like no you've got it yeah. you've got to tell people right this is the protocol right and it's serious right you know
0: you know it I I think my my doctors are fantastic yeah but I didn't actually go to sort of a a specialist kind of yeah. this is what the only thing these people do, yeah and they never they said you should rest, but they never really they didn't sort define of, it. No. You got
1: the same treatment I got at yeah. first. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And so you know, I said, well, what is rest? And, yeah. and then you know, they said, well, you know, you know, don't don't if it, if you're you start to get tired, stop doing what you're doing. You know, they yeah. weren't really all that specific, which was very frustrating to me, and remained so. I feel like it would have been helpful for somebody to just like lay down the law and say do this don't do this
1: because I'm so thankful <laughs> because I you know I needed someone to lay down the law yeah and if that needed to be the case exactly right, right. and it did in this yeah. case and I mean I shudder to think what would have happened if I kept bumbling along like that you know right I think I'd be you might be uh, falling over right yeah now. I right. might be in pretty bad shape or yeah. maybe I would have eventually recovered I don't know the, the, you know, the fact is, and I've, you know, I've, I'm, I'm an amateur at this, I'm not an expert, but I've done some reading, as mm-hmm. I know you have. Mm-hmm. Despite all the books about this and that and the other thing, they still really don't understand a lot about the brain. Indeed. And all these programs that are geared to older people to prevent Alzheimer's if you play my game or whatever, <laughs> they're bogus. There's not solid research behind almost all of that stuff. In fact, it turns out, yeah, you know, I'll tell you one thing I did learn there is one thing you can do when you're older that will like rejuvenate your brain and and that they feel confident saying mm. learn a second language or a third mm. language mm. which is hard to really do very hard to do when you're older Yeah, but it really really exercises your brain
0: and what is it about that just it's, it's because
1: things. it's because as I understand it, and again, I'm speaking in a, as an amateur now, but I, I, and I'm not sure they totally understand why, mm-hmm. but I think it's because, I mean, so first of all, language uses a lot of the brain. Okay. You know, and you're, you're calling stuff from memory, and there's associations, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your neurons are working, and if you learn a new language, it's a new set of connections. Okay. Right? Yes. So, you know, it's really, it's like really good cardio exercise for the brain. For the brain. It yeah. turns out. Yeah. And so I'm, this is one of my goals, though. I, I've wanted to, I, I almost was fluent in Spanish like 30 years ago. And i mostly lost it.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, so if you don't use it. It's...
1: Yo hablo espanol un poquito. <laughs> and, um, you know, I used to talk it on the streets in L.A. where I grew up and mm-hmm. stuff. So my goal, and I was in Spain for a week, and by the end of the week I was starting to really get mm-hmm. stuff again. Mm-hmm so i'm gonna I'm going to learn that language at some point, so you were told cognitive rest, yeah, put yourself Bam. in a pod yeah
0: how did how did you
1: how did I respond to that? Yeah, well, you know it's funny, they said at h s s you went from being who we thought you we went you went from being what we thought was gonna be the worst patient to the best, and I told like the moment she told me this could be chronic deficits. Of I switch to flip, oops! I flipped a switch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying a new phrase. I like, like that. Yeah. I switched to flip. Switch,
1: switch to flip.
0: Switch uh, to flip. I like
1: it. I do do that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's okay. I, uh, one of the things I've learned, and I'm sure you have, is I give myself a break a lot more. Like if I, if I, I don't. Sometimes I can't pull words up. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: it's this the slowness of of recall yeah. certain words is it's frustrating. But but the more frustrated I get, the harder is it is to recall the word. So if I give myself a break and just sort of rest for a second, the word will come. Yeah. So at or, least, at least or in my case or often, you can say I or tell me the word. You know,
1: yeah. and it's like you keep going. Yeah.
0: Or Who it, cares or it doesn't come right. and and. On, we have to go.
1: So, there's a book you, you that because I know you're not reading too, your, too much, but yeah, but um, the, I actually read before the accident. Yeah. Uh, it's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers.
0: Oh, yeah, I know that book.
1: Yeah, by yeah. Robert Sapolsky at Stanford. Yeah, and it, it was so helpful because what he does in that book is he walks through the physiology of a stress response, mm-hmm. you know, so we think it's all in our head or something like that. But if you have multiple stress responses a day, you're triggering all these hormones and enzymes mm-hmm. and shutting down sugar, you know, uh, glucose and the muscles and whatever it is, you know, shutting down the, you know, and and it has a huge negative mm-hmm. impact. Mm-hmm. And so, stress is actually positive in relatively moderate doses. The problem is when it gets to be too much. Right. So how do I design a life? That minimizes, right. you know, right. the stress. Right.
0: right, and there's a whole lot of issues around that. Yeah,
1: that. So yeah. like, so I, I embraced it. I mean, the first couple of days were really hard, because I'm like someone who reads a lot. Yeah, uh, and I at that time was reading a lot online, even though it wasn't as good and you know, offline and yeah. and, and well, involved. so much in,
0: of your business
1: is, so much. is digital, and I was yeah, I'm digital business. I'm on the road all the time mm-hmm. talking, and so it was like. The first couple of days were withdrawal. That was the word I couldn't remember. Withdrawal. Right. Yeah. So right. withdrawal. It was a withdrawal. It was. Yeah. It's like oh my god. Yeah. Um, but we then like,
0: we like pacing around the around the apartment or.
1: No, because I was in pretty bad shape. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I and the other thing is they're like you gotta sleep more. We, we we no longer believe you shouldn't sleep. We know you need to sleep. Okay. So they put me on. Um, they use a small dose of this very old depression medicine, which turns out to be helpful for concussion recovery.
0: Oh, what was uh, what's it called?
1: Amitriptyline. It
0: amitriptyline. Yeah. I've, yeah, I was on there for a while too.
1: Yeah. So and that also helps you sleep. Mm-hmm. Turns out. Mhm. So I was sleeping like 12 to 14 hours a day.
0: Oh, good. So that was
1: a once once they all set me up. So I was doing the first month of the cognitive rest. I would I would go to bed. I was in bed at eight and you know maybe i'd talk because i could talk on the i had to go get a landline phone and uh you know I'd talk on the phone for a little while and then go to bed mm-hmm. and i would sleep and you know until 9 or 10 right in the morning then i would get up and i would do my exercises they had exercises for the convert for the eyes Eye and yeah. also for balance mm-hmm. which i still do the balance exercises today because it's just really good to keep your balance system in tune right and I would take off in a bath with salt, Epsom salts, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, just chill. Mm-hmm. Then I would make my breakfast. And mm-hmm. by the time I ate breakfast, it was lunch time. It was noon, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Brunch. Yeah.
1: And and then, you know, so for me, the, the most difficult hours were sort of between noon and four.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. that's when I was sort of most awake.
0: Yeah.
1: And I had just separated from my wife so I was leaving alone uh, and actually the first couple of months emotionally were very very hard and, and I now understand this a lot better like when you have a brain injury one of the problems is that even if you're generally good at asking for help which you know is my sort of business right. I teach leaders how to ask for help you can't advocate, advocate for, yourself for yourself very effectively so I was alone a lot, yeah. and that was very hard.
0: Yeah, that's hard, and, and it's also a, a commonality among people with, with yeah. chronic pain or, or brain injury is that they isolate.
1: You know, what the problem was, like, I couldn't do, like, social events. Right. And when I needed to see people, was, like, in the middle of the day when they were working. Very you know?
0: difficult to make it happen.
1: And I, I think, frankly, some of my friends didn't appreciate the level of what I was going through, right, and in part because I couldn't tell, I like was, you know, inarticulate. I was at not the time. as articulate at the yeah. time. Yeah. So by four, I was starting to wind down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, you know, there were a couple of hours where I would just stare out the window, but I had these great, I have these great windows where I see a lot of Brooklyn. I'm not even that high up, but it's just it's a sweet, it's a sweet view. Fantastic. And I just looked at the world. And... You're just watching the world go by. Yeah, and I didn't even see much movement. It was like trees swaying. It was wintertime. Ah. And it would get dark early, and then I would start to see the planes in formation to LaGuardia. I couldn't hear them, but I could see see their headlights. That's cool. Which was really kind of meditative. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, within a while, about a week of this, I started to really kind of enjoy it.
2: You Mm -hmm. know, it was
1: still hard emotionally to be alone, but... Mm Like I was mentioning to you earlier, I mean, I was, this was 2017 going into 2018, and I was living in a completely Trump-free world.
0: (laughs) A bit of a gift, I think, yeah.
1: And, and actually that was, and not just Trump, but like, and I I don't really consider, I can, I still have certain Mm -hmm. limitations that may be with me for the rest of my life. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I went out, I, as you know, saw Hamilton on Friday night. I mm-hmm. stayed out. I still go home early, yeah. uh, but I made an exception, and, you know, I was a total basket case the next day. Right. Which is what I expected. Right. Yeah. You have to plan for that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I sometimes, like, I still had that. We, we had to reorganize. I, I shouldn't have planned anything that day. But you
0: know, I still I, forget to do that. Yeah. You know, I know that if, if I'm yeah. out late or if I have a busy weekend, That I have to plan at least Monday, if not Monday and Tuesday, to really not do anything. Yeah, Yeah. It just, I have, I know
1: that's what I have to do. But we forget ourselves, you know, we think we're the person that we were, you know. Right. And we're also, you know, it's funny, some of my friends are like, well, I'm also having this or that memory or recall problem, and I don't get to have the excuse of having had a concussion. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: Well, Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, ha- be happy about it, right? But I yeah. it
1: was it, it it actually it led to a pretty profound transformation for me, which I'm very grateful about.
0: Was that something this profound transformation was it something that sort of you evolved into over the the yeah. course Well, and it's, it's a funny thing.
1: Down? It's it's actually an evolution that really probably started like 20 years ago. It was it was in some ways a continuation and maybe just a deepening of that. Mm. But um, my my wife, we're separated now, but very close friends. She's mm-hmm. one of the most important people in my life, Lisa. She was the one who first originally got me to start to slow down. Da- she taught me the art of slowing down. Okay. Um, in general. Yeah. I used speed and busyness as a drug, mm. which mm-hmm. not unusual. Yeah. As a way to mask pain or just not deal with certain things yeah and she taught me how to slow down and she also taught me how to look at art uh-huh. which has been a you know and then in 2008 i started slow art day which has turned into this huge global <laughs> movement it's very cool it's fantastic. literally 1500 museum yeah. events you know mm-hmm. it's like you know and it's just an idea that i put in the world i created a website and a volunteer team not being in the art world myself but it's now become a major event every year on the art calendar and it's fantastic it's really the yes. financial times referred to it as the venerable slow art day i mean crazy right <laughs> that's yeah that's fabulous and so i also had a reading nonprofit called the reading odyssey teaching adults mm-hmm. how to read the, some of the great books of the human history but i was still fairly speedy i think mm-hmm. and you know it was it was mixed Mm-hmm. and then this happened and you know i think i had to slow down i yeah. was forced into the cognitive rest it's
0: like a slamming of the brakes
1: yeah and i mean i think look i think that there are, i suspect there may be lifelong deficits associated with this i can tell
2: mhm
1: so it's not like i you know got out scot free so to speak there's there's a real mm-hmm. there's some limitations but mm-hmm. By really profoundly slowing down in a way I had never done before. I mm-hmm. mean, I have never stopped working like that. Yeah,
2: just you know, stopped.
1: Yeah, every, so, and I've had periods where I've been sick and I've gone through some health problems, but even then I was still there was a lot of cognitive input still happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Whereas
1: this is like really like being like on a, a Tibetan monk or something, right? Like right. you're you're just totally disconnected from the whole global. 24-hour entertainment multiplex we've created, <laughs> you know, and that was really good, so I, I slowly took me, it took me about 14 months before I could start working again.
2: Mm-hmm. I also,
1: by the way, I screwed up, like I didn't claim disability right off the bat, so like um, finally when I realized it was too late and so oh, if you if right. you if you get a brain injury or something where you're going to be out for an indeterminate amount of time, you you got to like tell your insurance company and right workers comp or whatever it is yeah. you know or to, you know, long term or short term disability do it right away. Yeah, did you? I think you did do that, right? Yeah, I had a, a machine of because you worked at Forester, yes, right? Yes, behind
0: me. Be, yeah. So I I didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. I didn't know what to think, and and I was clueless really about how severe my injury was because I, I could say my name. Like, well, you know, of
1: course, we're the absolute worst person to be able to evaluate it when you have an injured brain, and by the way, you don't have the background, right? Exactly. Exactly. By the way, I've yeah. learned since that most public high schools today have a great concussion protocol. Really? If you play sports, they do a baseline yeah. cognitive test with you. So that if anything ever happens, they can immediately run that test and see if there's a delta between your baseline yeah. and what's happened. Yeah. They understand. I've talked to a lot of parents like, oh, cognitive rest. Yeah, my son had to do that for two weeks. Total blackout, nothing, wow. you know. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, then that is that is a good thing that there's such an awareness.
1: But funny enough, it hasn't filtered into ERs or adult, <laughs> you know, the adult world quite as strongly yet. No.
0: Not yet, but it's sort of the sports arena is yeah. moving things along. You know, football yeah. is so popular that, yeah. and and there's studies that have been done that girls playing soccer actually get worse injuries than boys playing football. It's well, so, you know, yeah.
1: headbutting is terrible, absolutely yeah. terrible. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I'm I'm interested in how you were feeling yeah. as as you're sort of going through this transformation. So 14 months to get back to work, but you
1: eased. I eased in, yeah. It was like three months before I could start to, I think it was three months before I started reading offline. That was Mm -hmm. the first thing I could do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, how I was feeling was, um, you know, I was feeling pretty low. I also, you know, I had light sensitivity. Mm -hmm. I had all this stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. sound sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So if I rode the subway, which I still do today, I wear earplugs. Yeah. You know, I know you do that as well. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing, like, Now I know, like I have to think about my cognitive environment, you know, and if I'm going to go do an important meeting, then I've got to conserve some of the cognitive juice I have. So, for example, I've got to wear those earplugs in the subway because if I don't, I'm actually using cognitive energy to process the onslaught of sound. Right. And that's not where I want to put that. Right. You know? Right. I never thought about that before.
0: No, it wouldn't have occurred to me that hearing something is actually cognitive work. Yeah. So when I go out into the world, I, I have my sunglasses on, even if it's yeah. not sunny, and I have my, my noise canceling headphones on. Yeah. And I'm sort of in this like marshmallow of yeah. my own protection. Yeah. So that at least I'm reducing right. the amount of information. And by the way, this
1: is also re- like when you do that, you have you have to be doubly careful walking around because if you've if you've decreased your hearing capacity, which is what you and I do, mm-hmm. in the, that that means you can't hear a bike as as well, or so right. you have to be t- two times the defensive walker,
0: right? Exactly. You might otherwise be exactly. And so so I can't zone
1: out right either. You you can you can you can you know level down the sound uh, the, the the sound. And by the way, there's increasing research like. We have neglected sound as an sound pollution as a huge health problem. Yeah,
0: and it's gotten so much worse here in the city. Oh, really. yeah, it's,
1: yeah. And yeah. one of the reasons I love my apartment in Brooklyn is I'm like I'm wedged into this inside apartment, so that there's almost no sound. Oh, god,
2: that's fantastic.
1: And there's no way I would ever buy an apartment overlooking a main street. Yeah, I mean you don't have that here, thankfully. But I'm hearing cars going over plates because there's probably road construction yeah. or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And now when I go, it used to be when I traveled, it was always hard. But now with my, you know, earplugs, I'm, you know, stick me whatever room you want. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm just going to zone yeah. out and not listen yeah. to stuff. But it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. so it was
0: hard. So how did you manage to that?
1: Well, it was, um, I I had a, my friend Roger, who I mentioned earlier, the playwright, mm-hmm. you know, Holocaust educator, um, he was a he was a good friend to me. Yeah. You know, he lives in California, so we probably spoke every day on the phone. That was really helpful. That's huge. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: my friend Pat was mm-hmm. very helpful to me. Uh, my friend Michelle, very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. The the thing that really made this all so difficult too was this this was a moment when Lisa and I had just separated. So this is my you know yes. life partner, right. a woman who I you know love so much and has given me so much. And we're we're not in touch at all at this point. Right. We're we're now, you know, in touch a lot, and things are things things have evolved into a a close friendship. But that that was that was tough. But not then, right? That was tough. No, I was also. I mean, I was very tired. Mm-hmm. I couldn't cognitively process very much. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like you know I've been sick before, where I'm like on the phone. I'm getting people to visit me all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm really I couldn't do that, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize, like, I should have asked someone to do that for me, but but the problem is, when you have a brain injury, mm-hmm. you're not great at self-advocacy, even yeah. though I have been very good at that in the past. Yeah.
0: But you might have been too tired to have people.
1: Yeah, here, but if people so... had said, look, I'm just going to come over Wednesday afternoon for 15 minutes to say hi, I'm going to bring you lunch. Right. That would have been amazing. That would have been great. Right. But no one did that. Right. And and I was left alone on Christmas day no one came on Christmas day that was probably the hardest day yeah I was like a month into the cognitive rest and I that I was that was probably I was pretty upset yeah That was hard. Mm. I mean, my sister called. I've -hmm. got family in California. Mm -hmm. And my my cousin, who's like a sister to me, came a couple days after Christmas to spend three days with me, which was great. Lovely, yes. And my sister had been with me in November, and we had had a great time. Mm -hmm. But that was tough. I mean, when when you have a brain injury, you really, if you're single, you need someone, a friend or someone who can... Do some advocacy for you, Mm -hmm. and not wait for you to ask them what for what you need.
0: That you know, it's a very good point you make because people often say, "Well, I'm here. Whatever you need."
1: That's the least helpful thing anyone can say. Yes, whether it's cancer or whatever. Hey, I'm coming over Wednesday night with a souffle. Boom.
0: Great. Yeah. It's like great.
1: Don't make me think about this. Just do something. If I'm look, if I, the thing is, if I had cancer, if it wasn't brain cancer, I. I would I would organize because I'm good at that. Mm-hmm. It took me months to realize yeah. what was going on. Yeah, I wasn't organizing because mm-hmm. I did, I was you not didn't. able to advocate. My brain wasn't functioning you, you correctly. You
0: didn't have the cognitive wherewithal yeah. to be able to do that. And, yeah, and so it is. And I think all of us on the outside of you don't want to bother you yeah. don't want to you know yeah you know well, i mean people, yes exactly and i you know to, i was not know what to do and right so, i wasn't going
1: yeah. well we you know that's part of the education that i think would be very helpful to happen mm-hmm. like you know er's and trauma centers need to know pro, 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 concussion protocol mm-hmm. and they also need to know support concussion protocol mm-hmm. like Here's a sheet to hand to a friend of yours, or read this to your friend, or tell them yeah. tell them to go online and look for the, you know, concussion protocol support. Right. Blah blah blah. Right. If you're single. Right. You know, so they'll read things like, okay, he won't be good at advocating for himself, so you need to just come over. Tell him you're coming over at two o'clock and bringing a souffle. Right. Or whatever. Right. And even if you stay for 15 minutes, it would make a huge difference in their day. Right. And that would have been true. Yeah. And like if if someone had come for 15 minutes on mm-hmm. Christmas Day, mm-hmm. it would have been all the difference. I think you know it was it was I was I was very sad and depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had depression through my life. This just magnified it a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. I still struggle. with, oh, I was lifelong. Mm-hmm. I'll always have depression, but I'm now I'm in a better place than I've ever. Been. It's hard to sort of cheer yourself up, you know, when you're by yourself all the time, and your brain doesn't really know what to do you yes. know you're light sensitive you're sound sensitive you're yeah. not getting anything going on yeah. in books magazines Yeah, I mean books are such an important part of my life and yeah. I'm back to books so that's great but yeah. I think it took me it was a while before I realized oh you know I'm not you know I need more help and Ah. Again in past when I've had health problems mm-hmm. I've asked for help right away. I say the funny thing about a brain injury, I'll, even after I saw my doctors and I went on their protocol, I think I think it took me almost a year before I really realized okay, I've actually had a brain injury here. I had a
0: a scenario where I sat face to face, you know, 3 feet away from yeah, uh, one of my doctors and she said you know you have a brain injury, don't you? And this is probably a year after the the, the injury accident, yeah. and but I wasn't diagnosed, so this was, yeah. you know. So she's she's like looking at me saying, "You know you have a brain injury, right?" And I'm going, "Oh yeah." And but in my head, I'm like, I don't know what she's talking about.
1: What are you talking about? Yeah,
0: I don't know what she's talking about. And so, yeah. I began to start telling people I had a brain injury, even though the acceptance of that fact was very far away.
1: So one of the things I experienced I don't know if this was true. So I and they're connected I think but I had trouble accepting it. But other people did too. Your friends and family. Yeah. Yes, because they look yes. at you and there's nothing physically wrong.
0: Yes. Exactly. And you can talk and you can talk, right? So that yeah. you seem people will say, "Oh, you're fine. You're back. You're fine." And right. it's very difficult for them, you know, to to understand sort of what's going on in your head because they can't see it. Yeah. So one thing I did, I can't remember what the site is, but there's a, there's a a brain injury group. It's a small, small.
1: Like online thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That, um, they had, they, they wrote a a blog post that is like, here's what you tell your friends. Seven things that you should tell your friends.
1: Oh, I should look at that.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll find it for you because it was really, it was really good. It's like, you just have to understand that things are going to take me longer to, do I need more rest you know and I gave it to I printed it out and I gave it to my family I gave it to my friends because you know I couldn't really articulate it that well but it really was concrete about saying no I really am not the same as I used to be
1: right and I look the same right my voice sounds the same you know I for the most part I remember most things that The stuff that was in and around the time of the accident is the fuzziest. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. my deep memory isn't, I've I've never had a great deep memory anyway, so who can tell? But what what I find, and I don't know how to describe this, and maybe they've other people have done it, but that moment when you realize you're not taking things in Mm -hmm. and you can't, you you just can't do it anymore. You have to go lay down. Yep. Like. Yep. What that is, How do you describe that? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's, that moment. The way yeah. I the yeah. way I describe you know I grew up I was eleven when Star Wars first came out. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. Are we the same age? No, you're a little older. I'm older than you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I was eleven, 1977. Yeah. Right? And I saw it like 50 times. Yeah. I, I don't know, crazy. Maybe it was less than that, but I love Star Wars. Yeah. And there's that famous scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi is on the Death Star and he's going around shutting the power down. So that the Millennium Falcon can escape without the force field on, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what I said. You know when he's... Yeah. That's what happens to me. That's what you feel like, yeah. The power yeah. is shutting down.
0: Yeah.
1: I cannot... I know mm-hmm. you're using words and yeah. things are happening yeah. but yeah. I need to go yeah. lay down or yeah. I've gotta like go rest or this yeah. isn't computing. Right, right. Things are not happening and It's a very weird experience, isn't it? And it's a whole yeah. body experience.
0: Oh god, when it's bad it's it's a whole body experience. And
1: it's a pain that's not like any other pain. Mm-hmm. It's for me it's like a sensation of weird electricity or something.
0: Oh, that's very true. It, yeah. I can visualize like like the lightning or something in yeah. my head or electricity. Like what are those balls of when, that you touch in a, in a science center yeah. that have the electricity come, yeah. of coming out of them? It, in my head particularly, but yeah. also around my body. My legs, my yes. arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, Maybe the, you know, it's the nervous system, I suppose, that's... It like, like it's short-circuiting. Circu- yeah, it's short-circuiting or, circuiting or mm-hmm. it's like no yeah usually a headache of course mm-hmm. increased yeah. sensitivity to light and yeah. sound
0: yeah and and realistically you know my uh, my doctors have have encouraged me to say well you should take periodic rests and that way you know you can catch this before you're at that point point. and it's just it's very hard for me to it's very hard to do that it's
1: you know i uh, i uh before the accident, so five years ago or so, mm-hmm. I was I had very bad feet pain on the mm. other, outsides of my feet. I remember that. Yeah. I'm bow legged, and so I, I went I went to the hospital for special surgeries, mm-hmm. a foot specialist. Mm-hmm. I'd had this problem for ten years, and it was identified as an ankle problem. And he did a good job. He's like, no, this isn't your ankles. This is the tendons on the outside of your feet. Oh. They have you have damaged them. Okay. And he said, you're so young, I don't want to say this, but there's the surgery where we basically break your foot, rebuild it, put in new tendons that are like donor tendons, I guess. You know, from cadavers Painter. or something. So, yeah, right. Or, I don't know, maybe other animals. Uh, yeah. And But he said, we have to do it on one foot, Takes six months to recover, then we do it on the other one. I'm Jeez. like, I'm like ah, can I have door number two, please? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, let, you know. And so I ended up, I, I worked with this uh, somatic therapist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he slowly and surely over three years taught me a new gait a new way to walk very hard to do i bet and it takes cognitive effort effort it must be exhausting because if you've walked for 50 years yeah in a particular way yeah you know those those neuronal pathways are super well worn Uh, right
0: Absolutely.
1: So it took three years, and I'm still working on it now. Yeah. But I rewired my my gait. Wow. And my feet are much better, so I can I walked here as I mentioned from Brooklyn. That's a long walk, yeah. And I, li- I one of the things I've I like walking because it, it it's a slow way of experiencing the world. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: And it it, it gives you a different connection to the mm-hmm. environment to the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walking I,
0: walking I around New York is just one of the great great pleasures of of my my life. It's just fantastic. It's just every... The variety and uh, diversity of what you see is just... just
1: But it was was hard, and it was good preparation, I guess, for this thing, too, because I'm having to rework other things like my pace of work. Right. And so how, over these sort of 14 months... Yeah. So
0: three months, you're sort of without anything. Then you start sort of rolling things back. You start reading... Mm -hmm. We start
1: reading in print, I could yeah. do I yeah. could do f- first, yeah, fifteen minutes Stints on the computer, but yeah. it 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 took I think it was probably fourteen months before yeah. I was able to really work on the So computer. did you
0: start getting a little excited as that as you started adding things back, or was it was it not until you really start able to think that about
1: engaging with other people?
0: Well, it was a mixed bag.
1: I was actually, uh, you know, in some ways I was ready to go be a monk.
0: You have the hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) For the monk? Yeah, Yeah. right. But I I, I basically am not on Facebook or Twitter anymore. Mm -hmm. I have accounts there. And once in a while I'll do something. But it's, you know, basically what I've learned, and maybe this is an important thing to emphasize for this, is I've learned that there's a brain budget and every person has a different budget Mm -hmm. I had a bigger budget before the accident I have a smaller budget now Mm -hmm. and some things are more taxing if you will Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so uh, being on the computer or on a screen is Mm -hmm. more taxing Mm -hmm. so I try not to do that on anything that I don't have to okay I have to do corporate email and slack because that's my company right and we have peer coaching calls over zoom so I'm looking at the computer okay but I'm not reading ebooks anymore. You know, one of the things, one of the great rediscoveries for me was, I've always been a big reader, but mm-hmm. I'd started reading more ebooks, And yeah. it's really unsatisfying. You don't retain as much. And once yeah. I started reading in print again, I really saw how much of a yeah. better experience that is. So I started writing, but mm-hmm. not on the screen. And I discovered something that really I would not have learned otherwise, which is I'm a much better first draft writer by hand. Really, oh yeah, there's something about the screen that boxes you in and conservatizes you at least for me interesting so if I write by hand, yeah. I'm a more creative writer it, and then I can edit on the screen sure i don't I don't finish my drafts by hand right. i don't I'm not a I'm not so good a writer that I can spit out great text in one try yeah. I think John Maynard Keynes was that, but <laughs> I study him yeah. the other thing I did is um I was since I was able to re- read was I was reading a lot mm-hmm. in print, mm-hmm. and I started becoming a lot more sensitive to the writers in it, the nonfiction writers that uh, that I liked mm-hmm. their their language. I became mm-hmm. much more. It's been a long time since I had been as sensitive to language. I mean, I've, you know, I've done poetry sure. and stuff. Sure. I have some sensitivity, but I became a close reader, and then I would like I would find something that I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. And I would analyze it by writing about it. So Laura Hillenbrand wrote Seabiscuit. Yep. Well, most people have seen the movie and mm-hmm. they like it. Some have read the book. But it turns out, she, her, in her introduction, and actually throughout her book, she provides a master class in great metaphor construction. Does she really? Oh, my God. She is a great metaphor writer. Wow. You know, there are... Lots of business books that, you know, fail the test of good writing because they use a bunch of bogus cliches, you know, tired, right, 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 shop-worn right. cliches. I mean, just terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you can barely gag your way through it. Mm. And some people contend that you can't have bad writing and good thinking, and I think there's something to that. Um, and I think, you know, but but certainly it's a joy to read yeah. people who are good thinkers and good writers. Yeah. And Laura Hillenbrand, you know, she writes popular histories, but she does them well. Mm-hmm. And her she's got great language. Mm-hmm. She's got really good. And so, she writes from her bed. She has MS. No. Lime? No. Maybe, what does she have? Uh, maybe that thing, what was that thing called that came out that people started getting more of in the 90s? Like Epstein Fatigue. Bar? Epstein, Epstein Bar. Bar, yeah. 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 Chronic fatigue syndrome. Just yeah. something where she can't really get out of bed. She writes in her bed this, mm-hmm. like, I cannot write in bed half a quarter or a tenth as well as she can. But I discovered a joy of, like, taking, a, taking her introduction. Her introduction is great. So here's a book about a horse in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So what is the average reader going to think? I don't give a damn about a horse, and certainly in the 1930s. Right. And if you're going to write a book set in the 1930s, talk to me about... The Great Depression or... Right. Uh, Hitler and the rise of Nazis and fascism or FDR or whatever. So her very first paragraph addresses that head-on in terrific language. Like she... i like, oh, she knows what she's doing here. And she knows her way around the written word. Um, she knows her... She creates good, good metaphors. And that's a real test, in my opinion, of a mm. good writer. Mm. It is hard to create a fresh metaphor.
0: Well, and particularly one that applies to and -hmm. what she
1: taught me is the metaphors that work the best work on multiple levels Mm -hmm. they work they take an old cliche and twist it but Mm -hmm. then bring it new meaning Mm -hmm. they the language itself like reflects the 1930s or something like she Mm -hmm. she's working at multiple dimensions Mm -hmm. and so I would write 10 pages on her first page and this was writing for me yeah Not for anybody else. Just for you. It's my favorite writing. It's like joy, like little bombs go off in my head, or fireworks, because I I find that if I look at a passage and I'm writing about it, I discover even more. Sure, right. So, holy crap, like, this kind of close reading, I now have a method for improving my skill at both reading and writing.
0: So, what you were able to do when you started reading again, and... You really didn't have that much else to do, and you've got a, a brain. Yeah.
1: That
0: you created something new for yourself that you love. Yeah. To do.
1: Yeah, I created a slow reading, slow yeah. re, slow writing analysis technique. Yeah. That is like great. Makes me great joy.
0: It brought you joy, which, at the time, you needed something that brought you joy.
1: The other thing that happened, which is so interesting, is that. I've just started going back out on the road, giving talks.
0: Oh wow, that's big.
1: It's big, and it you know I had this big talk at Capital One that went very well, and I was very nervous because it was the first one back mm-hmm. since, and it went very well from what I can tell. But an important shift has happened, where it's hard to describe because I, it's not that I don't care. I want to. It's not that I don't care what the audience thinks. In other words, I want to be sure I'm. I am bringing something with integrity and value and quality. But I at some fundamental level, I don't care if they like what I have to say or not.
0: What do you think that's about?
1: It's like oh, I have like I don't need their validation. Uh-huh. You know, so it, it I can I, I care if what I've done is quality. Sure. You know, and if I've created a good experience from the point of view of You know, so many speakers just don't have integrity to what they're doing Mm -hmm. or they're just trying to sell something Mm -hmm. and they haven't thought deeply about it and they haven't thought about how to, you know, Mm -hmm. inject humor and other things. So I do all those things. But I also don't care. Like, I understand that my customer experience message is a challenging message, which is it's really aimed at the most senior leaders. It's Mm -hmm. like you have to get out from behind your desk and directly experience customers. Because if you don't do that, and most of you don't, you will develop blind spots and get in the way of the people of your company who do understand your customers. And it will hurt right. what you're doing. And I share what Warren Buffett did to do that, what Steve Jobs did to mm-hmm. do that, what Sam Walton did to do that. But, you know, the number of CEOs who actually get out and do that, I, I it's not a big list. Tiny, right. And so... And, you know, my being there saying this, you know, in other words, like before it was like, oh, you know, did they like it? Does that, whether they like it or not is independent of whether I think the idea is good. Like Warren Mm -hmm. Buffett, you know, talks about you're neither right nor wrong because the market agrees or disagrees with you. You're right or wrong because your reasoning is sound and that's what you're going for. right? Right. And I think I've really embraced that now.
0: And do you think that this epiphany yeah. came because of this time that you spent so yeah. slowly yes. developing? How, oh, yeah. And how how do you think that you came to that?
1: I mean, I think it was years of work it sort of predated the concussion. Sure. I mean, in you've been ways. at this for a long time. Yeah, and I've been at it for a long time, yeah. and, you know, I've, got a level I've been well-respected yes, and stuff. In, indeed. But, you know, it's funny. It's like that doesn't mean that you don't have old insecurities or old ways Mm -hmm. where you might need to feel validated, right? Mm -hmm. And so, look, I know that what I'm saying has integrity to it. Mm -hmm. And it's also simple. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not going there and manipulating them to buy my whatever XYZ thing Mm -hmm. might be. And I know that most people won't follow what I say.
0: And but that has okay. nothing to do with me. You're okay with that. Yeah. And so it's part of it, you think it's just that you've accepted the simplicity of that core message. Of, yeah, yeah, and also... I'm about right. asking for help. And yeah,
1: I'm, asking for help, going out to customers. Right. Yeah, I'm about asking for help, and it's not a weakness, it's a strength. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you know, it's in, so I came out... Gay, before, mm-hmm. right, two months before I was hit. Right. And as I said to you before, I'm sort of now more embracing that I'm more kind of multi sexual or something. I don't even, but the world is. But you're embracing your true self. I'm embracing my true self. Rather than being right. out
0: there saying I'm not really. Gay.
1: And I and I no longer need to prove that I'm a real man. That has been a huge relief. Aha. And that has been a That's key big. part of this. Yeah. So, because I always felt in male dominated business circles. Sure. And I, you know, it was funny. My therapist at one point said to me, "She said, Phil, you know, in some of these environments you walk into, pe- people can tell you're different, and some of them don't like you. There's not that's real. Mm-hmm. That's not in your head." Mm-hmm. I'm in something called YPO, Young Presidents Organization, and um, this was about a decade ago, maybe even longer, actually, 15 years now. And we had a forum. There's eight of us who like met once a month to help each other, right? And so mm-hmm. And then we took an annual retreat and we had a moderator come in and work with us. And at that retreat, actually, we, we did this cool exercise where we introduced ourselves to the moderator because she came in as a new person to us to work with us that weekend or whatever. But the way she had us do the introduction is, like, if, let's say, it was time to introduce you, Patty... You wouldn't say anything. We would each say something about who you are. I see. To introduce you to the moderator. Right. Patty is blah, blah, blah. Patty is blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the people said, well, Phil, when I first met him, I didn't like him. I had a huge reaction to him. I thought, he doesn't belong here. What's he doing here? And over time, he's... He's the one who's had the biggest impact on me. I respect right. him. He has this fundamentally different way of seeing the world that's been incredibly helpful to me. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Because, you know, you validated that this isn't just in my head. That when, <laughs> I, when I walk into business environments where I don't know anyone or they don't know me, it can there's true at Harvard Business School's been you know yeah. it, it can be true in many different situations. There's initially can be a very negative reaction to me because people can feel that I'm just doesn't matter what I'm wearing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it, I think from from their point of view I've got a dress on. you know <laughs> They might not say that, but I might as you know they're like there's something they're reacting to. Now, equally true. For certain, usually a minority number of people, they're immediately drawn to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: for things, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that I'm also embracing more. Mm-hmm. Like the the thing I've been ashamed about, about myself, mm-hmm. my different way of seeing the world, mm-hmm. you know, my different way of being a man. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like I, I was saying, to some, you know, when I was at Harvard in the 90s, I fought a lot with the other students and teachers about the sexism on campus. Uh-huh. And I said to someone recently, you know, the, the reason I did that isn't because I'm some advanced man. It's because when my mother, when I was 10, my dad left, my mom basically had a nervous breakdown and put me in charge and I became her consigliere and I experienced the world through her eyes as a single woman in the 1970s yeah. who got fucked every single way. Right. You know, Right. no matter what. Right. That I, I was very close to that experience. She yeah. would come home at night and tell me about her day right. it was a trippy scene
0: yeah clearly. and she
1: was trying it was the 70s you know and she was trying to you know do the best she could do the best she could yeah. and that's why i'm more sensitive and i've also done some other work in therapy groups with women that I, where i've learned a lot about women and working with women mm-hmm. but it's it's not because i'm naturally more sensitive than most men especially white men in mm-hmm. america it's because I've had some experiences that have shaped me differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I see things differently for that reason, mm-hmm. right?
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: used to count that as a negative, as a handicap right? in some ways. or Because it makes you different. Because it makes right? me different. It makes you different. And, and I find many yeah. business environments completely insufferable.
0: One of the things that people often say to, say to me is, is that while they would never wish the accident and the yeah. injury on me, there are good things that have come out of it, and you know I've had an opportunity to sort of really look at myself in a lot of ways and embrace sort of new art in new ways and yeah. you know different things and uh, which I probably wouldn't have done. Yeah. I would still be working really hard and you know just pushing and rather than trying to embrace myself and it sounds like there so there's the silver lining of for sure the accident.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd say the same thing. It's very no, I wa and but it just deepened everything. Yeah, I say the same thing about my childhood. I never wish all the the shit show I went through on anyone, anyway. yeah, right. but it made me the person I am today, right. and I don't regret that. Right. Because I don't know, I might be some white middle class male asshole otherwise. I mean, probably not, but you be know, gad. be gad. be <laughs> um, And and so, yeah, I don't know. Never. It's, yeah, I look. I think. We won't know what the long-term effects of this accident mm-hmm. are going to be on my brain health. Mm. We may never be able to say. I don't know what the future has in store, mm-hmm. right? But at the moment now, mm. I can say yes. This, this, this was a gift in some ways.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It and it, you know. And I came back to my business and I made some changes in my business, to focus on the things that. I think, really, really matter Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the experience for our clients. And we run these councils for internet leaders where we Mm -hmm. teach them how to ask for help. And and I no longer care about scaling the business. I just care about deepening the quality of the experience for the people who are there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one of the fundamental problems we have in our culture today is that there's a huge premium on speed. Mm -hmm. And big. Speed and big. Mm -hmm. Speed, scale, and the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. So if you were to
0: sort of say, okay, what... What would you want somebody to really take away from this conversation? You know, we've gone through a number of things. But even if you don't know what you need to ask for, just ask for help.
1: Who is more important than what?
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So find someone you trust, where you share values, and you can ask them for help and ask me for help.
0: Say, I I don't know what to ask for, but I'm here, I just got injured, or I've been injured for 10 years, but... I, I need help. So th-
1: th- this this is what I really learned from my, you know, yeah. concussion thing yeah. was like hopefully if I were if I did it again knowing what I know now I would try to say to my friends, "Look, I don't know what I need, right. but I need more than what I'm getting or I'm really struggling and there's something wrong here."
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't think I can figure that out. Right. I think I need someone who says, I'm gonna go figure out what you
0: yeah.
1: what you need. Yeah. And I'm gonna give you that and and or help you organize that gonna, in your life. Yeah. Because with a brain injury, that's the thing. Like you can't articulate right. you, you often don't know. You don't even know you have an injury. You right. know
0: and and that's the thing is that you or I would have both said, No, I'm fine.
1: Yeah, I'm like right? I'm not feeling so great, but I'm fine. I'm right. sure it'll pass. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Which, so we would need to sort of, or at least once we got to the, oh god, maybe I'm not so fine. That's when we'd need to sort of say, help. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to do, but so anybody who might be listening to this, if if you could say help, then do for yourself, or if you're if you are a caregiver.
1: Ask for help or. or If you're a caregiver, ask for help and realize that if your person you're helping has a brain injury, you should know they are not going to be good at asking for what they need. They don't often know what they need, or they just. That's part of the problem that they're experiencing. And look, most men are terrible at this even without a brain injury. Women are somewhat better Mm -hmm. at their health management, and Mm -hmm. there's actually women who. Men living alone is the number one risk factor for men as they get older, because they're alone, and they Mm. don't take care of themselves, and Mm. they don't go to the doctor. Mm. I'm doing those things. (laughs) Good. Thank you. Good. Excellent. Um, We're going to be watching you. Yeah. Yeah. um, And I have, you know, I have a social network. Yeah. Which always needs strengthening, but I do. Always, yeah. You know, my dad was more the typical man who, Mm -hmm. you know, isolated and... Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he just he was not he was not uh, he was not good at knowing even when he needed help or mm-hmm. asking for help or listening and then acting on it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I would say to your listeners like, if you're a caregiver, know that the person doesn't. It's part of the effects of a brain injury is they don't know what's going on
0: mm-hmm.
1: at some very important level,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're finding that hard. Yeah. And you are, too, probably.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And uh, if you're the person with a brain injury, know that. And in any case, you need help to figure out what's the environment you need to create, what's the support you need, and what do you need friends and family members, uh, people on the periphery, to do? Can you Mm -hmm. give them direction? Come by once a week with some food and say hi for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And also, like I had to I think you've dealt with this. I had to teach people like look when i when I tell you I can't talk anymore, it's not about you Mm-hmm. it means i'm i you know don't take this personally, I have to get off the phone now right right that we might be in the middle of a tough conversation or an, you're revealing an invulnerability to me or something. I'm not trying to hide or having a reaction to you. I mean, I could be, but right. M- I would tell you that if that's what the issue is, but the power is the power is going the power down. down. Obi Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi is drawing mm-hmm. down the power. Yeah, the force field has been lowered. <laughs> <laughs> the brain has shut down. The brain has shut down. Or it's it's yeah. you know it's it, it, exactly. it and I gotta go. Yeah. Bye. Right. You know. So, what else would you? So I, was... I brought some notes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and this is for people without brain injuries too. Mm hmm. Ration your screen time. Mm hmm. You have a brain budget. You might not know the exact parameters of it, but it's not unlimited. Right. And every time you look at a screen, you draw down more. So, you know, non-screen time is really important. So print books rather than screen books. Watch less TV. I know this is totally unpopular, but, you know. Right. Every screen has an impact. Yeah. Reduce news consumption. Especially online. Online. As much as possible, do not read news online, you know, especially political news.
0: It's designed to
1: screw with your nervous system and, and provoke a reaction.
0: But And that's, that is actually what they're trying to do because they need that's you right. to read it,
1: right? Be, or at least come back or, yeah. yeah. It's clickbait is the term, right? Right. And it's a whole art. Yeah. And they're literally messing with your nervous system. So you got to take ownership of your nervous system. <laughs> I'm like nobody fucks with my nervous system. Right. But yeah. that's
0: that's that's really important is take ownership of your nervous system. Yeah. Because it's not just that your brain is getting tired, it's your whole nervous system. It's your that whole is involved. nervous system. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you have a stress reaction to a piece of news, then there's like 50 body processes that yeah. get triggered. Yeah. As Robert Sapolsky outlines in yeah. Zebras, Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. Right. right. You have hormones and enzymes, the heart rate goes up. Uh, glucose is released to your major mm. muscles, especially in your legs. Glucose mm. production is shut down for the moment. Mm-hmm. You're, there's bowel things that happen. I mean, yeah. it's like, no, yeah, you yeah. know, it is, it is a full body, you yeah. know, experience. <laughs> yeah. And the news has trained you like, well, if you look at that news, you know, and if like, let's say you're you're not a supporter of Trump. And, you know, you want to see something's happened negative, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. something you got back at Trump. Yeah. Because that'll make you feel good, yeah. but no, Trump should not be the dictate yeah. of how you feel or the news. Well, one of the points I think is
0: important is to listen to your body. Yeah, because we're not trained to listen to our bodies. Right. So I think it's a it's a good thing that if if you start if you can listen to your body, you start to feel
1: You're gonna, that stress reaction
0: yeah. happening. Then you can begin to say, "Oh, maybe I should take myself out of this situation," which is just reading something online right. knowing that that's going to be affecting your brain.
1: But I've noticed that people have a hard time with this advice. Yeah. So I've got a close friend who is a great reader and, you know, very well educated, very smart. And he theoretically agrees that he should not be reading news online, but he can't bring himself. He can't off bring of himself it. to do it. Yeah. And m- would I have been able to without the accident? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But I think I think in the coming years, I think there will be a growing chorus around this. Yeah. Um, ration your news. If you work in business, by the way, business news is much less stressful. Than the political news? Yes. And it's, you know, yes. it's, it's um, yes. read political or historical books or, or biography. of Like, you don't have to... I'm not saying don't be politically smart. In fact, I believe I'm politically more uh, sophisticated than people who read just the political news because I'm reading the books that go deeper. Right. And it gives you a broader perspective and not a day-by-day reaction. I also recommend that people read across disciplines things that you don't know at all, thermodynamics. Yeah. You know, it just is a way to create right. new connections in the brain. Take some time every day to think and reflect where you're not mm-hmm. doing email, you're not reading, you're not mm-hmm. doing anything else but thinking and reflecting. Mm-hmm. And this one is really important, get more sleep. Get more sleep. There's a great book called Why We Sleep. Yes. That's really good. And if, if, if any of you out there are interested in getting more sleep but don't realize why, get that book, Why we, Why We Sleep. Yeah. It's by a Berkeley professor.
2: Yeah.
1: And look, like, ration your t- Figure out if you're going to watch TV, what can you handle? Like, I realize I can't handle violent stuff. Before the concussion, I'd watched the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I said, I'm not going to watch any more Game of Thrones. Right. But then it came on, and I was like, ah. And then I rea- what I did was once it was over, I asked my friend who'd watch it, Look, give me the whole plot, tell me who gets killed,
2: right.
1: so none of that will worry me. It doesn't, so then right. I can just watch for the production values, the right. gorgeous costumes, the sets. The I mean, they just did an unbelievable lavish production. Yeah, it's You know, twenty million dollars a episode. Oh Those dragons are amazing to watch. They are beautiful. And you know, and just tell me what to you know what's coming, so yeah. I don't, I my so I can put my nervous system on the low. Alert, and I right. can just enjoy that piece of it. So, right. if there's certain shows you really want to watch that, but you're worried they might amp you up or upset you, get the plot.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really great idea.
1: So, yeah, yeah, it's not the the plot's not the most. I mean, some shows it's the most important thing, but Game of Thrones is not the most important thing. It's it's no. it's the production, yeah. especially in the later seasons when they went off the whole softcore thing.
0: That was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate your yeah. thoughtfulness and time and to share your
1: yeah. story. Well, thank you, Patty. Yeah. How fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank
0: you. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful to my friend for sharing a rich, rich story. I hope that you found value in it. And if you have, please rate this podcast well. Doing so will improve our ranking in search results on all platforms. That makes it easier for other people who may be in need of a little inspiration to find these stories. And here's a massive thank you to the amazing Emily Billigas who graciously composed and recorded the lovely theme music for Life Over Pain. If you want to find more of her theme music, I've added a link to her music on the show notes. Find more Life Over Pain episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content.